part of TheFinsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now your co-host, MC Money, Surin the Creepy Soccer Dad, and Houts, MD. And welcome to Finsider Radio. This is MC Money, joined by Certain the Creepy Soccer Dad and Houts MD. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, NFL football is back. Miami Dolphins football is back. This is our first show of the 2018 NFL season. I might want to add the 2018 Miami Dolphins Super Bowl season because that's exactly where this team is headed. Straight to the Super Bowl, aspirations are high. Optimism is at an all-time high for Dolphins fans, all Dolphins fans, all NFL fans throughout the entire league. Everyone thinks their team is going to be great. Everyone thinks their team is going to be the one. But as we all know as Dolphins fans, that the season can be over as quickly as it started. And let's just hope and pray, certain house, that we are not here sitting in week four, week five, saying what happened to the season is it time to start talking about next year? But there is quite a while to go before that. First up, the Tennessee Titans at Hard Rock Stadium on Fox Sports TV. Broadcasting the game will be Sam Rosen, play-by-play. Chris Carter, the color analyst, and Sarah Kustak on the sideline. Of course, on a local radio, you got Jimmy Cefalo, play-by-play. Bob Greasy, Joe Rose, and Kim Bocamper. And that game is at 1 o'clock. And again, that's at Hard Rock Stadium. The Dolphins will open at home. And surprisingly enough, they have had a great home field advantage at Hard Rock Stadium. In 2016, when the first year with the Canopy, during that season, the Dolphins went 6-2 and two at home, their best home record since 2002. In the middle of the 2016 season, they had five straight home victories. That was the team's longest home winning streak since 2001 and 2002. Miami's 11 wins in their past 16 regular season games at Hard Rock is a team's best 16-game home stretch since they went 14-4 and in an 18-game stretch from December 2, 2001 to November 23, 2003. Miami has now won at least four home games in the stadium in every season since 2010, despite playing just seven games at the venue in 2015 and 2017, of course, last year with the hurricane-ravaged season. The Dolphins finished with the winning record at Hard Rock in 2017 for the second consecutive year. The last time Miami had back-to-back winning seasons at home was 2001 and 2002. Boys, sounds like the Dolphins have a bit of home field advantage. Add the heat in there. Add the fact that the Titans have a new head coach, and while that may be an advantage for some teams, I don't think it's going to be quite an advantage for the Titans. They are pretty beat up. They limped and struggled through the preseason. I'm going to come here right off the bat and tell you that I'm predicting a blowout win for the Dolphins on Sunday. Before I get your opinions, I just want to run down the show real quick for everyone tonight and those listening throughout the week leading up to Sunday. We will be talking about the offense. We'll then be playing our interview with Armando Salguero, the Miami Herald, and then we'll break down the defense as we look ahead to the Titans. But certain house football's back. I know you two are absolutely pumped up and excited and ready to go. What are your thoughts heading into Sunday? Yeah, I can't wait for uh, me to wake up about 5.22 in the morning and the next eight hours and, wait, did I do the math right? Seven hours and 38 minutes where I just feel like every passing second feels like an eternity. Now, luckily, I have four kids, so that'll help the time pass by a little bit more quickly, but 
man, I just know how excited I'm going to be as soon as I wake up. And then I'm going to be having that constant debate with myself about how early it is to have a beer. I don't know about you, Houts. Yeah, I don't think it's ever too early to start drinking, Sutton. I mean, I think the best way to put it is when you're a little kid, you know, you wake up, you run downstairs, whether you're getting that Ninja Turtles, the Ghostbusters action figure, uh, whatever it may be. This is the Christmas day for us. We're 31-year-old men. We love the Miami Dolphins. We waited nine months for this since the last time the Dolphins played a meaningful football game. So, I mean, I'm excited. I cannot wait. Uh, I don't know if I feel the same way at 4, 4, 4.30 on Sunday, but for now, I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to it like it's Christmas morning, and I'm some little kid who just can't wait to get his hands on some presents. So I'm ready for Dolphins football. I'm glad we made it through preseason without any significant injuries, and I'm ready to see what the 2018 season has in store for us. The Miami Dolphins, again, will open up on Sunday versus the Tennessee Titans, and a lot of talk this preseason has been around their offense, more specifically about their identity, about their plan of attack. Adam Gase saying in his latest press conference the other day that he thinks he knows what the identity of this offense is, but he isn't quite sure because they haven't played in any meaningful games yet. And he said you really cannot identify a team or an offense or a defense until you start playing those games and see how those guys react and respond to the different situations that are put out there. But from what we saw in preseason, boys, it seems like they're going to implement a short passing attack underneath attack and then hitting them with the long shots here and there. They did lead the league in NFL in rushing during the preseason. Let's hope that continues over during the regular season. If they can do that, if they can get the two-headed monster of Gore and Drake going, Drake kind of getting the team going there in the first half, Gore wearing them down in the second half with a splash of Kalen Ballage in there in the mix as well. I think they can really wear down some teams and get going pretty well. Now, the Dolphins did make some roster cuts on the offensive side of the ball leading in it to week one. Most notably, the wide receiver core looking at Isaiah Ford, who was cut, Rashawn Scott, who was cut, and several others as well. You can look at Isaac Asiata, who is now on the practice squad. You can look at Sam Young, who I thought was a surprise cut. But all in all, Houtsy, do you think the offensive cuts are going to make a huge dent into this team as they head into the regular season? I think it was a bit surprising to see some of these guys get cut. I mean, we've all been Isaiah Ford fans. It's a guy who we've been pretty high on since he's been drafted obviously injury stymied that but I mean at the end of the day these guys ended up on the practice squad even Leonte Carew ended up on the practice squad so for as sad as it is to see him not on the regular 53-man roster I mean these guys are on the practice squad they're going to continue to develop uh, but at the end of the day I'm not sure it's going to be a problem for the Dolphins I think a lot of this has to do with their confidence Jakeem Grant I mean he was a huge he had a huge role at the end of last season uh, he's a guy who this team expects to take the next step, and I think we all as fans expect him to take the next step. I think uh, you mentioned it. This is going to be a quick pass offense, those quick slants, those those short, easy throws that you saw Tannehill make throughout preseason. That's what this offense is going to be. It's probably the best offensive line Tannehill has had in his career. So uh, I'm not too concerned. I am excited to see the way the offense plays out. And you mentioned a two-headed monster. Then you threw in Kalen Balaj. I mean, this is a three-headed monster that this team has. You just hope that Adam Gase relies heavily on the run because when when you bring out that run game, when the Dolphins have success in the run, as Sutton pointed out, and I think it was an article in the Finsider, the play-action pass is deadly with Ryan Tannehill. He's one of the best in the NFL when it comes to play-action pass, and that's kind of how this offense has to go through. So you want that run game, you want to establish that early, and then let Ryan Tannehill do, the, do his work in the play-action pass game. We've been talking about the run game a little bit. Kenyon Drake. Last season had three rushing plays or 40-plus yards, which tied for the second most in the NFL despite starting just five games. 
Last season, he became the Dolphins featured back in week 13 versus Denver. Since then, he's led the NFL in rushing with 444 yards on 91 carries, carries averaging 4.9 yards per carry. His 91 carries were sixth in the league in that span. He was tied for fourth in the NFL with 108 offensive touches and third with 594 scrimmage yards in that span. Now you pair him up with Frank Gore, who signed with the Dolphins as an unrestricted free agent on March 22nd, 2018. Of course, going to the University of Miami and being the fifth leading rusher in NFL history, which is crazy to think, but he does it so quietly that he, he flies under the radar there. He's just 76 yards away from surpassing Curtis Martin for fourth place, and he should hit that this season, probably within the first two weeks of the NFL. Now, he started 108 consecutive games entering 2018. He's the first running back to start 100-plus straight games since Curtis Martin started 119 from 98 to 2005. He has 12 consecutive seasons of 1,000-plus yards from the line of scrimmage and is just one season shy of the NFL record held by Emmett Smith. While he's getting up there in age, I don't think he's slowing down anybody. He's almost like Cameron Wake where he gets better with age. So certain as you look at this rushing attack going into week one against the Titans, what are you looking for them to exploit to get that upper advantage? Well, there's not much to be honest with you. Tennessee was the fourth leading uh, run defense in 2017. So I I think it's going to be a struggle, but that's okay because – we need to be able to establish the run against teams that can stop the run. I mean, that, it's a test of wills. And what House was saying earlier, I think the scheme that really favors this offense is a run-oriented play-action pass team. And so I, I think that type of scheme is able to pick up a little bit more steam if your run offense can be consistently effective. Um when I'm looking at the Titans roster, I'm looking at trying to get the ball to the edge. I think if we can get some plays towards Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan there on the edge, I think that puts us in a pretty decent spot because I think they're better pass rushers than they are run defenders. So if we are able to get to the edge there and get Kenyon Drake in some space there on the outside, I think we're looking at a pretty favorable matchup there. Now, if we can get some of our interior offensive line to get to the to the second level to at least get a body in Wesley Woodyard, who is one of the better run uh, linebackers in the NFL, if we can get a body on him, I think that's going to put us in a good spot. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of 12 personnel. So uh, for fans not sure what I'm talking about there, 12 personnel would be one running back, two tight ends. So if we're seeing some two tight end packages there, that gives us the inherent run pass, be able to go back and forth depending on what we see at the line of scrimmage. And yes, Ryan Tannehill can audible now. Um, but to be able to, if we do audible or call an outright run play, to be able to run it towards Marquise Grayside, who I'm assuming is going to be the tight end number two, it could be Durham Smythe. Either way, the point's the same, that we're going to be running towards the tight end who's a little bit more seasoned as a blocker and be able to establish some of those types of off-tackle runs where we might be able to get to the edge. So that's kind of, generally speaking, what we're looking for. And then you had mentioned Frank Gore, who does... He's got the familiarity with Tennessee. He played for Indianapolis in that division for three years, so he's played him at least six times. And 
he's going to be able to help get Drake going, I think, from a just an understanding aspect. You know, Gore was able to have 27 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown last year against Titans. So I think he's going to be able to give Drake the tutelage, uh, maybe some insider knowledge about some of the things that the Titans like to do. And I think we can all agree that if we can get Drake going, that uh, it's not only an important element of this game, but it would establish a really uh, big staple of this offense going forward through this regular season. Moving over to the passing offense for the Miami Dolphins, let's just run down a quick few facts here. Kenny Stills has made a living making the big play in his first five NFL seasons. Stills has hauled in 222 passes for 3,585 yards. His 16.1 yards per reception average is second best in the NFL in that span with a minimum of 150 receptions. Jakeem Grant, who Adam Gase said in this press conference, is more much more comfortable on the outside. He's going to be looking to make an impact Final four games last year, Grant totaled 10 receptions for 188 yards and two touchdowns, including a career-long 65-yard score in Week 16 at Kansas City. Those 18.8 yards per catch average, that's the fourth in the NFL during the final four weeks of the season among players with at least 10 receptions. Devontae Parker, who was still iffy for Week 1, battling some injuries, that broken finger. He is sixth in the NFL in career receiving yards among players, who entered a league in 2015 or later. A lot of Dolphins, current and those who just came on the team, a lot of them are doing work quietly under the radar, and they always get don't get the recognition they deserve. That's what happens when you're not always successful as well as an f- entire team. Danny Amendola seems to make his biggest plays when it matters most, and that is the Super Bowl. Hopefully the Dolphins get to a Super Bowl with him on the roster. He is among the best Super Bowl performers in NFL history at his position. In his 2017 playoff run with New England, it was the 10th best postseason by a receiver in NFL history. What does that mean? It means that Amendola can play in big spots. He's not afraid of the pressure. And then he's clutch. And I have a feeling that Tannehill is going to go to Amendola a lot. It's going to be almost a security blanket, his go-to guy, whenever they need to move the change. So keep an eye out for that. If you have Danny Amendola in PPR fantasy, hold on to him if you don't. Either pick him up or watch him very closely because that may be a connection that may be worth having this coming season. Houts, you're looking at Ryan Tannehill. You're looking at these wide receivers. What are your thoughts on this passing offense? Can they exploit the Titans' defense? Or do you think that we should stay with the run offense as certain has kind of suggested? I mean, first and foremost, I mean, we get our franchise quarterback back. I mean, we have all, you know, one way or the other, thought the Dolphins should have drafted a quarterback this season. Maybe not quite in the first round, but they should have brought in someone to kind of fulfill that backup role and be an assurance policy if Tannehill went down. But, I mean, we have Ryan Tannehill back after nearly two years of just sitting here. I mean, we suffered through Jay Cutler. Matt Moore played a little bit in 2016. I mean, we get Ryan Tannehill back, and as fans, we should be excited. Uh, As guys who just love the game of football, we should be excited. Ryan Tannehill is a decent quarterback if not even better than that so I mean uh it's exciting to see what he can do in year three with Adam Gase I mean it seems like he has a great understanding of the offense it seems like the weapons around him kind of complement what he does best I mean he he has a great arm he's accurate with the football we saw it throughout preseason we saw it throughout all the tape in the last I think he's been with the Dolphins now for seven years I mean we saw what Ryan Tannehill can do 
how accurate he can be. So uh, I'm excited to see him back out there to see what he can do. Hopefully he's wearing that knee brace with the 2.0 on it. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, but as far as receivers, I mean, Devontae Parker, that's a huge question mark there. He's easily the Dolphins' biggest uh, biggest wide receiver. Uh, he's the guy who we expect to be a number one wide receiver. Hasn't ever quite lived up to that hype. I think this is last year in Miami unless he – you know, goes out there and does what we think he can do. So I'm excited to see if, first and foremost, if Devontae Parker's active because that's a huge question mark. And then what, whether or not he can go out there and, and do what we expect him to do. Because if Devontae Parker's on, if we can get one of the best years out of Devontae Parker, this offense is going to be something special. Uh, Kenny Stills, you touched on it. I mean, Kenny Stills is a monster. It said he's tied for fourth in the NFL with four touchdown catches of 20-plus yards in 2017. Ranks third among active players with 16.1 yards per catch average. Minimum of 200 receptions. So, I mean, Kenny Stills is a huge playmaker. He's a guy who can stretch the defense. We saw what he did with Tannehill in 2016. That was his go-to guy, probably his best season as a professional. So, I'm excited to see what Kenny Stills can do. Danny Amendola, like you said, I mean, he's coming in here. He's going to replace Jarvis Landry. He's going to get those targets. He's going to be that security blanket. He's a guy that the Dolphins heavily rely on, whether it's his veteran presence but it's what he's going to do in this offense. Uh, but you look across at Tennessee's defense, you see a guy, Malcolm Butler. And I think the last time we saw Malcolm Butler, at least for me anyway, I mean, I'm not too keen on New England Patriots or their games, but I remember Jakeem Grant mossing him in the end zone on Monday Night Football, I believe it was, when the Dolphins were wearing a throwback. So uh, I don't think they'll match up one-on-one, but Jakeem Grant mossed the hell out of Malcolm Butler. Uh, I think he's going to struggle, whether it be with Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, whatever it may be. So I'm excited to see that matchup. I think the Dolphins match up well, especially if Devontae Parker's in the lineup. But if not, I mean, opposite of Malcolm Butler, you got Logan Ryan or Dory Jackson. I do re- recall Dory Jackson struggling a bit uh, the last time Miami met with him. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. And another guy I didn't even mention, Mike Jasicki. I mean, he's the guy who Adam Gase admitted that they didn't really target him much in preseason. He's a guy who we all have high hopes for. I'm not sure. I didn't really get a chance to look over the depth chart, but I think he was – was he the third tight end on the depth chart still? Is, is Adam he Gase, is the third tight end chart. Yeah, is yes. Adam Gase still playing games? So yeah. I think that's kind of funny. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to be a huge red zone target. I jokingly showed that video. Someone tweeted out that Bob Barker was mossing some of those corners down there in Tennessee. And if, if they can't stop some old dude who's – I don't know, some kind of position coach. How are you going to stop Mike Jasicki? So I think Mike Jasicki is going to be a huge problem. Uh, I think the Dolphins' offense as a whole is going to be a huge problem, uh, particularly if Devontae Parker plays. So I think it's going to come down to that. But overall, I think the Dolphins have to feel pretty good with what they have offensively, especially in the past game. Leading the offense will be, of course, quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Prior to his injury in Week 14 of the 2016 season, he was playing some of his best football of his career. He posted three of his top five best quarterback ratings in his last five games. He had a 130.6 rating in Week 10 at San Diego and Week 12 versus San Francisco, which tied for the second-best rating of his career. Also posted a 124 in Week 14 versus Arizona, the fifth-best rating of his career. He finished the 2016 season with a 93.5 quarterback rating and averaged 7.7 yards per attempt. Both marks ranked in the top half of the NFL in 2016 and were career highs. It was the fourth highest pass rating in franchise history and highest by a Dolphins quarterback since 2008 when quarterback Chad Pennington posted a 97.4 rating. And all that talk about the deep ball and Mike Wallace is here. That went out the window as soon as Mike Wallace left. In 2016, he had seven games with a completion of at least 50 yards. That was tied for the most in the NFL in 2016. 
Again, that was tied for the most in the NFL in 2016. It was a career high. And, of course, he became the Dolphins' record holder with his feet. He is the Dolphins' all-time career leader in rushing yards by a quarterback with 1,065 yards, surpassing Bob Greasy's 994 rushing yards in the 2016 Week 11 win at Los Angeles. Certain we tend to forget about Ryan Tannehill because it was so long ago. It's basically a little less than two years. But when Tannehill went down, and we need to keep reminding ourselves this, he was playing the best football of his career, and he was up in the top half of the quarterback rankings in the NFL. And by all looks of it during the preseason, Tannehill looked like he was ready to continue right where he left off, and I don't think he's going to miss a beat come Sunday versus the Titans. What do you think? Oh, man, I I look for his – I look for his demeanor, first of all, when he comes out. You know, what's his body language look like? Does he look like he wants to come out and slay somebody? Does he look a little bit tentative? That's going to be one of the first things I watch when I see Ryan Tannehill come out onto the field, uh, get warmed up, and get ready for this thing. If you look at it just from a schematic standpoint, Tennessee was one of the best teams last year and allowing the fewest amount of plays of 20 and 40 plus yards. So I think we will see a a dink and dunk kind of offense, but that's okay. I think that suits us, honestly. And not, not to mention Devontae Parker may not be available. We're not sure yet. The injury report will come out tomorrow. So we will find out more on that aspect. But the dink and dunk is not going to be a problem for us because like you said, MC Money, Amendola is probably going to be a safety net there. I have no reservation with that claim right there. Um, but you have some linebackers who are a little bit better on run defense than they are in pass coverage. So I think we could take advantage of Wesley Woodyard. And they have uh, Rashawn Evans was their first-round draft pick. And one of the things that I was a little bit down on him, I, I thought the play diagnosis was just a little bit slow. And so I think if we are able to establish the run and we can get him in some play action situations, I think we could really take advantage of him. Again, he's a rookie, so I, I think we could work that into the game plan somehow. You guys mentioned Jasicki. If Devontae Parker is not available, I would not be surprised to see Jasicki split out wide quite a bit because we will need to win some matchups on the boundary for this dink and dunk thing to work because if we're not winning – one-on-one matchups on the boundary, then we're on islands, then we have nine people congesting the middle of the field, making all those intermediate and shorter routes a little bit more difficult. There's There are fewer windows to work with. So that would negate some of the advantages that we have by having a Kenyon Drake. There's not a linebacker on Tennessee that's going to be able to cover Kenyon Drake and pass coverage. So I look for Kenyon Drake to be able to motion out wide, get some one-on-one opportunities there and see what we can make from that standpoint as well. Um, Just one thing that we haven't been mentioning, which is a good thing. And one thing that we'll hear from Armando here in the interview coming up, but we haven't been talking about the offensive line that much guys. And that's something that's been pretty rare for us. So we will need them to step up and play like we expect them to play because they did, uh, in Tennessee, have two guys in Morgan and Arakpo who still double-digit sack guys. 
They have Jarrell Casey, who's one of the better penetrating interior defenders in the NFL, had seven sacks last year. So offensive line has to be on point. But I think if we can give Tannehill some time, the middle of the field will be open if we can win those boundaries. The Dolphins offense has been built to get out ahead early. It is built to get the defense a lead and then let the defense do its job rushing the passer. We'll see if the Dolphins can get off to a hot start versus the Tennessee Titans. They're going to need to because their defense is a little suspect. Um, And we'll talk about that in just a bit. But the Dolphins really need to get off the ground and running. Let's hope Adam Gase sticks to the ground game. Let's hope he's patient with it. Let's hope he runs a balanced attack. I am very excited to see what this offense is going to do in a meaningful game. I'm just getting jacked up right now just thinking about week one. We're recording this here on Tuesday night at almost 10 o'clock at night, and I'm ready to run through the wall. It's going to be a great, great Sunday, and I cannot wait to see this offense in action. Latest news, rumors, and inside information. And joining us here on Finside Radio is Armando Salguero, Miami Dolphins columnist, covering South Florida sports and the Miami Dolphins for many, many years, decades actually, and one of the best in the business. Armando, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Gentlemen, you call, I answer. What can I help you with today? <laughs> All right, Armando, it's week one. We're I'll be happy to serve the- drinks. I'll be happy to serve lunch. Anything you need. <laughs> That sounds perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll take quite a few drinks, especially since the Dolphins start on Sunday. But speaking of that, week one versus Tennessee Titans, a lot of talk from the national media about the Dolphins this coming season. You have seen them in practice throughout training camp. You are around the team every day. Armando, what are your thoughts on the team this year compared to last year, and are you buying into the national media and their perception of this Dolphins team? Well, the national media has an interesting perception. Like all the national radio shows that I've done, what I've seen, the little bit that I've seen written about the Dolphins has all been expecting, you know, doom and gloom and no buzz. And, um, you know, they, they just don't dig the Miami Dolphins. What can I tell you? And that's fine because I haven't seen any one of them at practice. And, you know, it's hard to form an opinion when you don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> I, 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 at least that's how, you know, I, I always thought I'm going to have an opinion on something. I think I should probably try to learn about it a little bit. Um, what I've seen from the Dolphins is a team that's going to be better than it was last year or should be better than it was last year. Um, They've got their quarterback situation. Love them or hate them, Ryan Tannehill is going to be better than what Jay Cutler was last year. I think the locker room is going to be better than what it was last year. I really like the offensive line as long as everybody stays healthy. Um, The secondary is okay. That one spot is a little problematic. I don't like the linebackers at all. Uh, That's a huge problem. And I think that they've got potential to have other guys that are going to be dynamic, like Kenyon Drake. So as I wrote in the Herald today on my blog, Dolphins in Depth, I see them in a 9-7 and seven type of mode. Uh, if things really, really, really go well, they could be better than that and be a playoff team. If, if they've got injuries, then they've got problems. 
Armando, you are not one to shy away from hitting the point home and being blunt about things with the Dolphins. So if you just say uh, nine and seven and possibly beyond that as well is promising to hear as, as a fan and someone who covers a team outside of the national media and the local media with the newspapers and so forth. But going, you mentioned that you don't like the linebackers. So you got Kiko Alonso, you got Raekwon McMillan, you have Jerome Baker, you have Stefan Anthony, and you have others on the team behind them. We saw the slowness and the hesitation of Raekwon during the preseason. We've seen Kiko the past few years. Uh, we have just seen glimpses of Jerome Baker, but understand that he's raw and just starting to form into his role on the team. Do you think, a lot, a lot of hope has been put on Raekwon McMillan. Do you think that Raekwon can turn around his play from the preseason and become that middle linebacker that everyone on the team thought he could become? So that's a good question. When the Dolphins drafted Raekwon McMillan, I was told by people within the organization, look, um, we're going we're gonna to walk through these steps a little bit. He's not going to be in on the nickel. He's going to be a 20 to 25 play a game guy in the middle, uh, and he's going to be great at that, and then he'll graduate to something more, or maybe not. We don't care. We don't mind. It's going to be a slow process. Well, the guy gets hurt. He's out for a year. We come back this year. He's the starter, and he's in the nickel. And so what I see is that all their plans of a year ago has gone out the window, and they're asking him not only just to start, which is hard enough in the NFL for a brand-new player, which he is essentially, but also to be one of the two linebackers playing on passing downs. I saw, and I'm sure all Dolphin fans saw, the Carolina game where he had coverage on that rookie tight end, and the rookie tight end was open and he caught the ball, and at 275 pounds, uh, he ran away from Raekwon McMillan and for a touchdown. That's not a good look. That's never a good look when your middle linebacker can't run with a 275-pound blocking tight end. And so that's, that's concerning to me. Armando, how's here? Thanks again for taking time out of your schedule to join us. It's an honor. Uh, my question for you is this. You're out there every day. You see this team practice each and every day. Uh, which unit do you see is, as the biggest weakness on the team, and then which do you see that we have the most depth at? Right. So I, I think that the linebacker spot, I, let, me, let me repeat myself here. I don't like the linebackers right now. <laughs> and, 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 again, it's not about – talent guys it's about experience uh they you know they've got green guys and it's going to take them a while to grow into their position and then we'll figure out whether they have talent or not right now i know for a fact they don't have experience and so we're going to see if kiko alonso who had struggles last year getting lawrence timmons in the right spot and covering up for lawrence timmons's bonehead you know um work if he's going to have similar problems getting the rookies and the young guys in the right spot and covering up when they make bonehead mistakes. Uh, as far as the strength, the offensive line is, I got no complaints. And that's weird. It feels weird because <laughs> for, for a dozen years or more, there's been plenty to complain about with the offensive line. And yet here we are, 
They've got a solid offensive line. I think that probably, you know, we they need Jesse Davis to grow a little bit and be better and so that he plays up to the level that the other guys are playing up to. But overall, I I think this is a solid group, and it feels like, uh, you know, I don't know the last time that I have said that about a Miami Dolphins offensive line. One more question for me, Armando, before we send it over to Sutton. Uh, backup quarterback position, you mentioned the Dolphins plan on keeping three quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, they picked up a fourth one over the weekend, Luke Falk, a guy who, you know, they kind of visited with during the pre-draft process and seemed to like. Is that a guy who they're trying to stash on the practice squad, or is he someone that they brought in strictly to, you know, become that Bill Belichick and get in there and discover the intel heading into week one against the Titans? Well, yes, yes, and yes. So <laughs> it should help that Luke Falk was in the Tennessee camp all summer and really since since the draft. And, you know, they have a new coaching staff, so they haven't shown a lot of stuff that they're going to do. Luke Falk has seen all of that stuff in practice. And I know that the Dolphins would deny it. No way are we downloading him and, and getting information from, you know, from the enemy camp. And, and having said that, come on, man, be honest. <laughs> of course you are. If you're not, you're dumb. Um, Luke Falk is a guy that the Dolphins liked in the draft. They couldn't get to him in the draft, but they got him now. And I do think that eventually he ends up on the practice squad. Mondo, you had mentioned earlier about the secondary being a little bit iffy for you. And, you know, if we rewind a couple of months before training camp started, we're talking about Cordrea Tankersley versus Tony Lippett for the cornerback two position. And now you fast forward to today, one of them's not on the team, and, and Tank is looking more like CD4. And so help fill in the gaps for some of us fans. What exactly happened there to cornerback two where we're now having to put Bobby McCain on the boundary and, and really wrestle some things around in that secondary group? That's a good question, too. You guys are kicking butt. Um, so <laughs> I, I just – look. Tony Lippett, when he got hurt in training camp 2017, I was told wasn't having a great camp to begin with. He he had probably the most terrible injury that a cornerback can have. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he didn't apparently recover as quickly or as well as what Richard Sherman did uh, on the West Coast. He is not the same guy. He was not the same guy this camp as opposed to last camp, which is already – not a good camp. So that, plus the fact that he was never the fastest guy in the world, um, you know, suddenly you have issues there. And from what I was told by the team, look, he's a free agent next year. So are we going to keep a guy that has had two bad camps, an Achilles injury, and is not going to be here next year? Or are we going to go in another direction? And they decided to go in the other direction. Uh, Tankersley is a, is a disappointment because he started 13 games last year. You expect the jump in year two to be seismic, if not considerable. And he, I don't know that he's better. I, it might be he's worse. And so that's not great. 
And then, you know, Bobby McCain, I like Bobby McCain as a slot corner. He is an amazing, excellent, top-line slot corner. So, of course, they're going to ask him to play the boundary. <laughs> and I don't like Bobby McCain on the boundary. And to, to the detriment of Bobby, um, the Dolphins have a good corner projected in Xavier and Howard on the other side. So if I'm a quarterback and I'm looking at, you know, a player essentially playing out of position on one side and a really good player playing the same position on the other side, who am I going to pick on? I think I'll pick right. on the guy that, that is a weak link. And who does that more than anybody in the NFL? Oh, yeah, the New England Patriots. You remember when they did that years mm. ago? I mean, they did it to Nolan Carroll when, when the Dolphins had an injury or whatever and suddenly – Carroll comes in the game, and the next five passes go his way. So uh, I, I, have, I have concerns over there. Maybe Bobby McCain responds, but he has been put in a situation that if you remember Bryce McCain a couple of years ago, he was signed to be the, the slot corner, the, the nickel corner. And then the Dolphins looked around and said, oh, crap, we don't have somebody that's good enough to play the boundary. So, Bryce, we signed you to be the slot, play the boundary. And he was terrible because he was playing out of position. It's not his fault. Well, they're repeating the same thing. We'll see how Bobby McCain responds. We're joined here by Armando Salguero, covering South Florida sports since 1982, covering the Dolphins and NFL since 1990. Armando, one more question for you before we let you go. Adam Gaze got rid of Mike Pouncey, Jarvis Landry, and Dominican Sue, brought in the likes of Albert Wilson, Danny Amendola, Daniel Kilgore, and others. How is being around the team that you've seen this year so far, how does it compare to teams in years past, especially under the last two years under Adam Gase? So this team feels kind of New, English, New England-ish. Mm-hmm. In that, they walk around, they've got their little secrets going on. They, they, it's like they're, they know something that you don't. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, and they're not telling you what it is. They're not bragging. They're not predicting. You remember a couple of years ago, the Dolphins were, we're the best wide receiver group in the NFL. We're the best <laughs> yeah. uh, secondary in the NFL. We're the best this. We're the best defensive line in the NFL. How much of that was true? None of it. So this year, you're not hearing any of that. What they've got now is a bunch of guys that are – hermetically sealed with each other. They keep to themselves. They don't let out a lot of, of the, what they're really thinking or what they're really about to do. And they put their head down and they grind. They grind on tape study. They grind on the practice field. They grind, uh, you know, after everybody should be allowed to leave, a lot of them are still there. That suggests that they're going to have a certain amount of success based on that. Does that turn you into a playoff team? I'm not sure because, you you know, the Patriots have a little talent to go with that. You know, they've got a pretty good quarterback. Uh, they've got a great tight end. So, but, but the, the, the difference from last year, the last couple of years, I think will be marked by the fact that you're not going to see a lot of marketing campaigns. You're not going to see a lot of guys running wrong routes. 
You're not going to see a lot of me, like J.H.I., me, 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 me. You're going to see we, and Adam Gates has picked that. Also, you're probably not going to see a coach sniffing cocaine, uh, <laughs> you know, in, a, in, a, in his office. So people forget that the coaching staff was revamped as well. So it's, it's a, if Adam Gates succeeds, it's because he picked his guys that he had confidence in and, and wanted to be football guys. And if he fails – it's because he picked his guys and he relied so much on football guys that he didn't intersperse enough talent in there. Either way, it's Adam Gase's baby. Hmm. Armando, I am pumped up for week one of talking to you and for this season. It sounds like this team can go in a lot of different directions. We'll find out starting on Sunday. We thank you for joining us here on Finside Radio. I know you're very busy, so thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. Anytime, man. Thanks. Thanks to you. All right, Armando. Take care. And we thank Armando Salguero for joining us here on Finside Radio. Of course, he has a very busy schedule with the first NFL game coming up on Sunday. So we definitely thank him for taking that time to join us here on Finsider Radio. In our view. As we head into week one of versus the Tennessee Titans, the Miami Dolphins defense is going to be front and center after struggling throughout parts of last year, after having some great games, after having some really terrible games. And throughout the preseason, they haven't looked great. They have improved, but the lights come on Sunday, and that's where it really matters. We've seen some struggles with the linebacker position, as Armando pointed out with Raekwon McMillan. We see some cornerback issues with Minka moving into the slot, which everyone knows I am no fan of. We're going to see how that plays out. Hopefully, TJ McDonald can keep his great play up from the last week, from the last uh, game against the Carolina Panthers. He was all over the place in that game. Let's hope that continues. But I am a little worried, but what I am not worried about is the pass rush outs. And leading the way is Cam Wake, 36 years old, despite having a season-ending Achilles injury in 2015, and despite a lengthy recovery and his age, he has bounced back to have consecutive double-digit sack seasons in 2016 and 2017 for the first time in his career. Now, he is tied since 2016 for third in NFL with 21 sacks and has helped Miami go 15-12 and 12 in his last 27 regular season games. He became the 12th player in NFL history since 1982 and just the fourth in the past 15 years to record a double-digit sack season at the age of 35 or older. He is one of the best undrafted pass rushers in NFL history. With 92 career sacks, he is second in NFL history for most career sacks by a player who was undrafted. And since entering the league in 2009, he leads the NFL in sacks. Across from Cameron Wake will be Robert Quinn, who they acquired from the Los Angeles Rams back in March He joins Wake as two of the most productive pass rushers in the NFL in recent years. Since 2012, Wake is tied for third in the NFL in sacks, while Quinn ranks eighth, and he arrives in Miami after spending the first seven years of his career with the Rams, where he was one of the most productive pass rushers in franchise history, ranking third on the all-time list with 62.5 sacks, right behind Leonard Little and Kevin Green. Houts, if the offense gets ahead early, 
the Titans will not stand the chance with this pass rush. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I think one of the most underrated moves of the offseason for the Dolphins was acquiring Robert Quinn for a fourth-round draft pick. I mean, you saw him throughout preseason. He looked dominant. Yeah, he went against Matt Khalil in that Carolina game and just completely destroyed him. Matt Khalil should probably be in a retirement home. But, I mean, you see it all throughout preseason. Robert Quinn just looked dominant. He looked like he belonged, and you throw him opposite of Cameron Wake, like you said. I mean, Cameron Wake, uh, I don't think we understand how great Cameron Wake is. I don't think we'll know how great he is until he's gone. But to have Cameron Wake and Robert Quinn, you know, as bookends going after the opposing quarterback, uh, it's going to be tough to see Marcus Mariota walk out of Hard Rock Stadium in one piece. I mean, Jack Conklin, he's in. I, I think he's questionable to play. You see Taylor Luan at the other end. The Dolphins have a chance to get pressure on early and often on Marcus Mariota. And if you can get to the quarterback, that's how you win ball games. Uh, it's it's going to be awesome to see. And you got the front, the front in general. I mean, you got Jordan Phillips, you got Akeem Spence, or you know Vincent Taylor, who I think completely dominated Devon Godshaw. It's not a Domkin stew, but they showed up this preseason. They're taking the right steps, so. Overall, I think this defensive line should do do their part. I think the biggest question mark for me is that linebacker. So I'm not worried at all about Robert Quinn or Cameron Wake. I think they're going to get their due diligence. They're going to get after uh, they're going to get after Marcus Mariota early and often. And I think what it's going to come down to is how those linebackers play. Now we heard Armando again, as I said in the intro, reservations about Raquan McMillan. We heard him say how the Dolphins plan to bring him slowly around and his rookie season pl- not playing in the nickel. But this season where he's struggling a bit, and they do plan to play him in the nickel. Houts, I know you're a huge fan of Raekwon. Uh, we talked about Raekwon a few weeks ago. I, I don't know, Houts. I don't know. I don't know how this is all going to shake out. I want to get your thoughts on Raekwon. Yeah, I think what we got to look at with Raekwon is this is a guy who's only played three preseason games. He's a guy who you know has continued to develop. You hear the coaches rave about what he's done off the field, what he's done during preseason and training camp. He's a veteran beyond his years. So uh, you see the tape. He looks like he's out of position. He looks slow, like Armando said. I mean, he couldn't even track down that tight end. I think that's something that we've all talked about. So it's definitely a concern, especially for a guy who, you know, the coaches have high hopes for. They kind of solidified him there at the middle linebacker position even last year before the injury. So you couple that with Kiko Alonso, who's great against a run, not so good in the pass coverage. Jerome Baker, who whether you – are impressed by what he's done. I think we all are with what he's done in preseason. Uh, he's still a rookie and he's going to struggle. So the linebacker position is definitely something to be concerned about. And Ray Carl McMillan is at the forefront of that. Now the defensive line handles the pass rush, but they also need to set the edge and contain the run for the linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks to do their job. Certain Rashad Jones has led NFL safeties and tackles. Following the 2017 season, he set a career high with 15 tackles at Kansas City in Week 16. He finished 2017 with 122 tackles, 94 of them solo, which led all NFL safeties and ranked number 12 in the league, regardless of his position. His his 122 stops also led the team. Now, we know Rashad likes to play in the box, and you're not making 122 tackles in the secondary, unless, of course, every single pass that's completed against you happens in Rashad Jones' area. So we all know that Rashad Jones plays up. He's not afraid to get in the quarterback and running back's face. And he's a huge reason why the Dolphins have been able to limit the run game in certain games. Obviously, not all the games their run defense has struggled a bit, but Rashad Jones definitely does not hurt them. Devon Gottschall, 
who was a fifth-round pick in 2017, has also helped. He's been having one of the most productive seasons by a rookie defensive lineman last year. His 40 tackles were third amongst his fellow rookie linemen. Now, we saw a bunch of cuts for the Dolphins on the defensive side of the ball. Kendall Langford, who the Dolphins had just recently signed, was cut. He ran into a numbers game. Other lower-end guys like Frank Ginda, we all, guys like Jonathan Alston in the secondary, Claudie Matthew, which I knew a lot of people uh, did like there. Um, you have Case and Collins, Terrence Garvin at the linebacker position. Nothing that really stands out, though, in terms of cuts on the defensive side of the ball, at least in the defensive line area. We could talk about Tony Lippett and the others in just a little bit. But for you, certain when you look at the Dolphins' run defense, again, going back to Raekwon, going back to Kiko, going back to Jerome Baker, how do you see them matching up against the Titans and Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry? We know Derrick Henry is very hard to get down, and Deion Lewis is very shifty in that backfield and out in space catching the ball. Do you think the Titans running backs are going to pose a problem for the Miami Dolphins? Yes, I do. Uh, We're going to need our one technique and three technique guys to really step up on Sunday. It's going to be a very important part of our game plan because what we don't want to have happen is a revisit of the 2016 loss that we had at Hard Rock Stadium where we lost 30 to 17. The game really wasn't that close. Uh, Tennessee had 70 plays versus our 41. They had 37 minutes of offense versus our 23. They had Marcus Mariota had more rushing yards than our entire team. So they, they had 235 rushing yards against us. And if that's going to be what happens, there's, we, we don't have a chance. So we absolutely have to be able to stop the run. And one thing that I really want us that I hope that we addressed in practice this week was some of the run run pass option stuff and we saw in the third game against baltimore when um help me who was the who was rg3 uh when rg3 was in the game they ran a couple uh, rpo things and we looked a little bit uncomfortable with it and when you have someone like marcus Mariota, who's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the entire nfl when you're going against him that's a whole different layer of efficiency in that type of scheme so it's really going to test our lateral speed and our gap integrity and those were a couple issues that we saw in the preseason so i absolutely would bet money to that we would see some of that type of action on sunday let's not underestimate the return of william hayes who i think is one of our better run defenders uh, we're hopeful about his return again. The injury report's coming out tomorrow, but I think having William Hayes in our life, not only do we get to hear stories about mermaids and such and fake dinosaurs, but we also get a strong boost in the run game. So I think that's going to be important for us. I think we're right now, uh, at least on paper, we look a little bit uh, more suited to, to deal with Derrick Henry than we do Deion Lewis and Deion Lewis is tore us up a couple of times when he was with new England. So I, I think early in the season, really, and this may seem like a, a, an easy way out, but this game might very well come down to how well we tackle and Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis are, couldn't be more different in that sense. And what you need to do to be able to bring these guys down. Derrick Henry is, freaking enormous and Deion Lewis is one of the most elusive guys that you can see at the running back position so um, 
we have our work cut out for us, no question. Uh, but if we are able to make them one dimensional and just to go back to the, the last three times we've played Tennessee, this game has been decide who has gotten six sacks in 2017 and 2015. You guessed it. We got six sacks each in those games and we won both of those games. And then of course, Tennessee in 2016 sacked us six times and they won the game. So as much as we're talking about Rundy, it's pretty well going to be determined by who can get to the quarterback. Now, a big part of that also is the pass defense, right? Because you got the you rushing the pass, you got the run defense, but the pass defense as well. We heard Armando Salguero talk about Bobby McCain being on the outside, putting Mink in the slot. Well, really, Bobby McCain is probably the best slot corner in the NFL, if not top three. Minka belongs probably in center field, but Cordray Tankersley has regressed. Tony Lippett was cut by the Dolphins, never was able to fully recover. And the Dolphins now find themselves in a predicament where they have to make adjustments that they probably didn't want to make. But they do have one cornerback by the name of Xavier Howard. And he really turned a light bulb on last season, right in the middle of the season, actually. His best performance came in week 14 versus New England, despite battling the flu on game day. He intercepted two passes, giving Tom Brady his first multi-interception game since 2015. Howard is the first cornerback in Dolphins history to have multiple interceptions in consecutive games, became the first player to intercept Patriots quarterback Tom Brady twice in the same game since Indianapolis Mike Adams had two interceptions against him in 2014. Howard's five passes defense in week 13 were tied for the second most in an NFL game that season. Xavier Howard, he's come a long way because no one ever thought they'd be saying Xavier Howard shut down cornerback for the Miami Dolphins, but that's exactly what we're calling him now. If he can shut down that side of the field and let Bobby McCain worry about his side of the field, I don't think we're going to have any issues with Minka Fitzpatrick at all. If I'm the Dolphins, I say go man all game. Xavier Howard can cut down and lock down their receiver. I think Minka can lock down the slot guy and then give Bobby McCain some help over the top with Rashad or TJ. But then you got to worry about that pass, uh, the run defense, and hopefully they can contain it when their number is called upon. But how it's when you're looking at the pass defense in terms of Marcus Mariota, throwing to guys like Corey Davis, Rashard Matthews, if he's eligible to play in terms of getting over his injury bug. Uh, you got Delaney Walker, who's still battling an injury as well. For you, how it's, you know, we know Jerome Baker can probably cover Delaney Walker. Will he get out muscled? Maybe, but he definitely has the speed to keep up with him. Kiko or Raekwon, hopefully it's Kiko covering the running back out of the backfield, or it could be Jerome. I don't know how the Dolphins are going to do it. We'll see on Sunday. But overall, how it's, you know, looking at it, what are you looking at in terms of Dolphins pass defense versus the Titans pass offense? Yeah, for me, the biggest matchups, and I'm looking at the depth chart now, looks like Jonu Smith is set to start for the Titans at tight end. I know he was a nice prospect coming out of college. So he's a guy who the Dolphins have struggled in the past, particularly Kiko Alonso. We saw Raekwon McMillan struggle a bit in preseason. So he's a guy who I think can go out there and, you know, you never heard of him. Maybe some people have, but he's going to go out there and he could be one of those guys who just has a monster game. I think we saw it a bit with O.J. Howard last year. I mean, that was was kind of his coming out game. So you hope the Dolphins can shut down that tight end. It's something that they've failed to do in the previous years. Uh, you hope they can use a guy like TJ McDonald, like you said, Rashad Jones, Minka Fitzpatrick. But if you're talking about their wide receivers, I mean, Rashad Matthews, who's uh, whether or not he plays is, 
is one thing or the other. Corey Davis, who, I mean, he's a big play threat, a speedster, but overall he hasn't really, you know, come to life here in the NFL quite yet. Uh, Taiwan Taylor, guys like that, Tajay Sharp. I mean, these are guys who you match them up with an Xavier Howard, who you said it best. He's a shutdown corner in the NFL, two interceptions on Tom Brady last year. That That's Tom Brady's father right there. I mean, I don't care what you say. We all, whether you had high hopes for him last year, up and down, whether you thought Xavier Howard would ever become something, he is a shutdown corner right now, and I think he's only going to get better. Uh, we heard Armando say how Bobby McCain, he's better in the nickel better as a slot corner, but they're moving him outside. So, I mean, you're matching up with a Rashard Matthews or a Corey Davis. Even still, I like that matchup. So, uh, I think the Dolphins' secondary is much improved. I think it's a one of their stronger units, whether you think Xavier Howard, Minka, uh, we got Torrey McTire, you got guys like that who uh, they, they have different roles. They can pretty much do whatever's asked of them. And then you got TJ McDonald who's roaming around the field. So, I like the Dolphins' matchup in the secondary. I think that's something that they can uh, work upon. I mean, we touched on how the defensive line might play, but if the secondary can shut down those corn, uh, those receivers, uh, make things difficult for Mariota to see the field, uh, that defensive line, whether the pass rush is there early or not, they're going to get to Mariota. So I like the way the Dolphins match up in the secondary, and I think that's going to be one of their strong suits, uh, if not in week one, moving forward throughout the season. So the Miami Dolphins defense will take the field against Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans. Can they continue their improvement as they showed throughout the preseason? Can they shut down Marcus Mariota? Can they shut down that running threat? Can they shut down their running game? All those answers will be taken care of for us on Sunday afternoon. Certain things that the Dolphins will struggle with the run game. Certain things that the Dolphins will have no problem shutting down the pass. Will that be enough? The Dolphins need to get out to a big lead early to make the Titans one-dimensional and make them pass because that is their strong suit with the pass rush. Adam Gase has said over and over again, the Dolphins are built to play with a lead. Let's make that happen, Miami. And now it is time for the weekly predictions heading into Sunday. Miami Dolphins have a history with the Tennessee Titans. A Dolphins win would be the Miami's fifth win in its past six season openers. Miami has won its first regular season game in 2013, in 2014, in 2015, and 2017. A win would give Miami its 12th win in the past 17 games at Hard Rock Stadium. It would be the team's best 17 game home stretch since going 14 and 4 in an 18 game stretch from 2001 to 2003. And a win would improve the Dolphins' all-time record in season openers to 29-23-1. The all-time history with the Tennessee Titans, as I just noted, Miami leads 20-17 to in the postseason. Houston leads 1-0. Now, I said at the top of the show, I'm predicting a Dolphins blowout win. I'm going to jump right off the bat here. I'm going to say 35-14. to I think this offense is going to explode on Sunday. I don't think we've really seen anything in preseason. I think Adam Gase knows exactly what he wants to do. I think the Dolphins are just going to pile it on, pile it on, and pile it on. Houts, what do you think? If that's the score, I might cry tears of happiness because that that would be one hell of a season opener. Uh, For me, I'm going to think that, you know, these teams, first game of the year, there's going to be ups and downs. I'm going to go 27-23 Dolphins. I think they have a chance to beat the Titans. 
I know they were a playoff team last year, but I just see the way the Dolphins match up. I think people are sleeping on them. I think they're going to go out there hungry, and in front of a home crowd, they're going to take that W. So 27-23 Dolphins. I'm going a little more low-scoring variety. I'm I'm thinking this is going to be more in the 20-16 to 16 range, somewhere in there. I think it'll be a one-possession game throughout. I think the uh, just neither team has much separation, so unless there's some – crazy turnovers and stuff and we certainly saw we've seen that in this history um i don't know if you guys remember in 2015 we beat them like 38 to 10 it was one game i think dan campbell it was either his first or second game coaching for us and it was one of those games where everything was going right for us this poor tight end for the titans he's just trying to catch the ball and actually falls out of bounds and just kind of tips the ball in midair, just directly to Rashad Jones, and he probably could have walked in for a 38-yard touchdown or something like that. But uh, we've seen some crazy things happen in these games, but I really do think this is going to be a low-scoring, kind of grinded-out sort of game. So I'm going to go 2016 Dolphins. We'll see how it shakes out on Sunday versus the Tennessee Titans. Again, the game is on Fox, a 1.05 p.m. kickoff. Football is back. It's been fun. It's been long. But we are rocking and ready to go. Just a quick programming note to remind all of you. We'll be coming to you on Sunday after the game. Not right after the game, but probably about an hour or so. Just to let our emotions calm down, win or lose. We don't want to be too high. We don't want to be too low. So we'll be coming to you on Sundays following the game. We'll announce it, of course, on Twitter when we're going on the air. Giving you our quick breakdown of the game. It's going to be about a 20-minute show to allow you to listen to it quickly whether on the spots or, you know, halftime on Sunday night football, halftime during Monday night football or any other time. And then we will be dropping another show on Wednesday mornings like we are doing with our shows now. How and any last thoughts before we wrap it up? I'm just thankful football is back. Thank you for giving us a healthy Ryan Tannehill. And let's hope the Dolphins in 2018 are better than they were last year with Jay Culler. To start this season off right with a victory, guys. Love you guys. Can't wait to get into regular season mode. This is really exciting times for everything. And that is going to do it for us here this week on Finsider Radio, heading into week one of the regular season. Miami Dolphins, Tennessee Titans, it's go time. For certain, the Crepe B Soccer Dad and Houts MD, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you on Sunday. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins.
Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.